Hi, I'm Dennis Hester, and I'm the pastor here at First Baptist Church Watauga, and we are grateful that you have tuned in to listen to these messages, either through our podcast or on our website. And as you listen to these, our prayer is that you would hear the Lord speak to you from His Holy Word. If you're interested in learning more about the church, you can get on our website at fbcwatauga.org. From there, there's a place where you can plan a visit, you can learn more about our beliefs. You can also request prayer through the prayer request page. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to get to know you. The most important thing that I'd communicate to you is as you listen to God's Word, that you find a place to get plugged into a local congregation, whether it's here at First Baptist or another local church where you live. If you'd like information or would like us to help you find a church home, uh, we'd love to talk to you about that. And you can contact us through our Facebook page. So God bless you as you listen to His Word, and may the Lord encourage you in your walk. So just last Saturday on July 11th, our dog Maddie turned 15 years old. I don't know how she does it, but somehow she just keeps on making it to another birthday. Although I've noticed that she's a little bit slower than she used to be and she doesn't wag her tail as quickly and as often as she once did. But did you know that tail wagging is a form of communication that goes back to the days when dogs lived in wild packs together? Along with different types of barks, the way a dog wags its tail communicates different information. A tail that is wagging higher up and just the tip of the tail means that the dog is excited. It's letting you know that it's happy and that it's still on alert while a tail that's wagging a little bit lower may indicate that the dog is showing some fear. And, and the tail also indicates, the, the way they wag their tail also indicates where they see themselves in the pack, whether they see themselves in a position of dominance or whether they see themselves in a position of submission. So for the last few months, we've been in this series walking through the book of James titled, practical Christianity. And over the course of this series, we, we've discussed different topics like how to avoid discrimination, how to control our tongues, how to live in godly wisdom, and even how to wait on the Lord. And as we look at our passage today, we're going to be discussing prayer. And while a dog communicates by barking or by wagging its tail, prayer is the means by which we as humans have been given to communicate with God. But understand, prayer is not simply mankind barking our orders or our requests at the Lord, because prayer communicates not only the words of our mouth, but it also communicates the position of our hearts. Prayer comes from a heart positioned not in dominance over the Lord, but in submission to him. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of James. We're gonna be looking at verses 13 through 20 as we close out this series. James chapter five, verses 13 through 20. Now, as you're turning there, let me just say this about prayer. Author and pastor Timothy Keller 
in his book titled Prayer, describes two different schools of thought on prayer uh, uh, among believers. Some would say that, that prayer is, is simply meeting with God, that, that prayer is communion Based, while others see prayer as more of a struggle, a fervent supplication to see God's will and his kingdom to come. And so Keller would propose, and I would agree with him on this, that prayer isn't solely one or the other, that prayer isn't just communion-based or kingdom-centered, but that it's both communion-based and kingdom-centered, because prayer comes from, from a place to both meet with God, but also to see his will accomplished in our lives and in this world. And as believers, as, as we think about prayer, as we think about meeting with God and, and seeking his kingdom purposes for our lives, it's our desire that we wouldn't simply pray, but that we would pray effectively so let's read James chapter five, verses 13 through 20. It says, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So as we walk through this passage together this morning, we'll be discussing uh, our final topic on the, in the book of James, how to pray effectively. And as we talk about praying effectively, we're, we're going to discuss three things that I see James give us uh, for us to remember as we desire to pray effectively. So first, if we're going to pray effectively, we need to remember when to pray. If we're going to pray effectively, we need to remember when to pray. So in our family, we have two main times that, that we gather together for prayer. We gather together when we're sitting down at the table for a meal, which may happen more than once during the day, and we gather together at night to pray as the children are going to bed. And while Keller proposed that, or talked about this one side of things that views prayer as a struggle, a fervent supplication, I think sometimes the struggle is just making sure our kids don't take a bite before we say the prayer, right? All right, let's be honest. It's making sure I don't take a bite before we say the prayer. But, but it's good to have these scheduled times of prayer. And, and while your family and my family might have these scheduled times of prayer on our daily calendars, the reality is that it, when, it, when it comes to prayer, there is never a wrong time to pray. Or let me say it this way. It's always 
the right time to pray. It's always the right time to pray. Let's read verse uh, 13 through the first part of verse 14 again. It says, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him. So let me bring you back once again to what Keller proposed, that, that, that prayer is both communion-based and kingdom-centered. But now let me give you just my simple working definition for prayer. Prayer is simply a conversation with God. Prayer is simply a conversation with God that as we desire communion and intimacy with the Lord, that we would talk with him and we would allow for him to talk with us and that as we desire for his kingdom purposes, that his will would be done in our lives and in this world, that we would talk with him and we would allow for him to talk with us. And so as we understand that that prayer is simply a conversation with God, we understand that it's always the right time to pray, that it's always the right time to talk with the Lord. So if we find ourselves suffering, we're to talk with the Lord about it. If we find that things are going well, that, that we're in a period of joy in our life, we are to talk with the Lord about it. If we find that that we're sick, we're to talk with the Lord about it. Or, or if we're healthy, we're to talk with the Lord about it. And as I think about the, these times of suffering or times of joy, the, these times of sickness or, or times of health, uh, I'm reminded of a bride and groom that stand beside each other and, and make vows to one another on their wedding day, to be faithful to one another, both in sickness and in health, in the good times and in the hard times. And so I'm reminded that as I walk in my relationship with Jesus Christ, that he is faithful to me. He's faithful in my joy, and he's also faithful in my suffering. He's faithful when I'm well, but he's also faithful to me when I'm sick. And it's because he is faithful that we have the confidence to say that there is never a wrong time to pray. There is never a wrong time to talk with the Lord. It's always the right time to pray. But let me say this. Sometimes I think we, we overthink or, or we overcomplicate prayer. And so while we might agree that we should pray and that we should pray about all things and we should pray often, I think many times we just don't pray. In my years of ministry, I've, I've heard multiple times, sometimes even from longtime believers, to say, I'm just not a very good prayer. And... And when pressed as to the reason why, the, the reason is usually, I just, I just don't know how to get started. I don't know where to start. So if that's where you would find yourself in your own prayer life, that you just don't know where to get started, all right, I don't want you to feel discouraged or feel badly. There are others that feel the exact same struggle that you feel. But, but let me say this. Sometimes to get started, you just have to get started Sometimes to get started, you just have to get started. So you've probably heard or spoken this phrase, let her rip a time or two in your life. When I think about that phrase, I think about someone that's about to do something stupid, right? Hey, mom, watch this, let her rip, right? 
But, but did you know that that phrase, let her rip, which means to get started, originates from the world of steamboats trudging up and down the Mississippi River in the mid-1800s. The er is short for her, referring to the steamboat itself, and, and usually the captain would shout, let her rip, as the steamboat was getting started on its way. So sometimes to get started, you just have to get started Maybe you feel like you don't have all the right words to say. That's okay. Remember, prayer is not making a formal speech to God. Prayer is simply a conversation with God. So let her rip. Just get started. Let me also encourage you to to say, maybe you don't have the right words to say, but, but understand and remember that God is big enough to understand your prayers when you have the right words to say, but even when you don't. Romans 8.26 tells us in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. So God is faithful to, to hear our prayers in our sickness and in our health, but he's also able to hear our prayers when we have the right words to say and even when we don't. So it's always the right time to pray. So if we're gonna pray effectively, we need to remember when to pray, that it's always the right time to pray. Second, if we're gonna pray effectively, we need to remember how to pray. If we're gonna pray effectively, we need to remember how to pray. Once again, not that we should be intimidated to pray, but, but as we look at this passage, James gives us some clear instructions on how to pray when we pray. Let's look at verses 14 through 16 again. It says, is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. So this first instruction that we see on how to pray is that there may be times that we may need to call on others to pray for us and to pray with us. We're to call on both the elders of the church, but we're also to call on one another, to call on other believers. Now, who are the elders of the church? Pastor Dennis has talked about this in, in previous sermons, in previous sermon series, uh, including our sermon series going through First and Second Timothy. But that word elder, we, we see used interchangeably throughout scripture with the word pastor and with the word shepherd. And so when James says to call on the elders of the church to pray for you or to pray with you, he's referring to calling on your pastors. Now this is not to say that that personal prayer is somehow inadequate, and this is also not to say that prayer with other believers is insufficient. We're going to talk about calling on others to pray for us in just a moment. But I think that James is giving us this reminder that there is value in the, in the agreement of prayer among the church. And, and at times, when, when we find ourselves in the midst of, of struggling, when we find ourselves in the midst of life battles, we are not to face these battles on our own. 
but we're to reach out to to the ones that God has called to these uh, positions of spiritual leadership, especially as we trust that they themselves are spending time in prayer. So let me say this to you, church. You have pastors and a staff that is committed to prayer. Over the last 10 years, as, as I have served here at First Baptist Watauga, prayer has been central to who we are at First Baptist Watauga. It, it has been central to who we are as a church, but it's also been central to who we are as a staff. And so for years, up until recently, we've had those blue cards in, in the bulletins. And on Sunday mornings, you could fill those blue cards out. We actually still have those blue cards on the two back tables in the back. But you could, you could put a prayer request down on that blue card, and, and the blue card would make it to either Dennis's desk or, or my desk. And throughout the week, we would spend time praying for your prayer requests. And more recently, as we have transitioned to this online prayer request submission at fbcwatagaorg slash prayer, when you submit that prayer request via email, it comes right to our inboxes. And we are able to see that prayer request and we are able to begin praying for you immediately. And we're able to spend time in prayer for you throughout the week. Now beyond our personal prayer times, our staff is committed to, to meeting together to pray each week. So our, our scheduled times to meet ha, has changed throughout the years as our staff has changed and as our schedule needs have changed. But even when we don't have much on our schedule to discuss, we're committed to still gathering together to pray with one another. And many times, it is your very names that we cry out to God with as we're aware of any sicknesses and any struggles that you may be facing. So hear me, church. You have, a past, you have pastors and you have a staff that is committed to praying for you because we love you and we care for you. So we see this instruction to call on the elders, but we also see this instruction in verse 16 to confess our sins one to another and to pray for one another. So James doesn't limit prayer to simply the elders of the church, but we're all able to pray for one another. And so he encourages us to reach out to other believers for prayer. And with both of these instructions, we see this important truth, a key for us in our prayer time, that we would know and recognize that we are not alone. That we would know and recognize that we are not alone. In John chapter 15, Jesus describes himself as, as the vine, and he says, we are the branches. Understand, believer, you are not a lone branch on that vine. You are a branch among branches, all connected to the same vine, all connected to the same source of life. You are not alone. So a few years ago, it, it, it just seemed that, that my family and I, that we were facing struggle after struggle, that we just kept get, kind of getting hit from every angle. And I, I know and understand that, that many of you out there have faced struggles. I'm not alone in facing struggles. And, and so I don't want to maximize my struggles. I know that some of you have faced far greater things than what I have faced. But, 
but we were facing some struggles, whether it was car issues or health issues or financial issues. It just seemed like we were getting hit at every angle. And one day, just the weight of all of those struggles just seemed to be pressing down on me as a husband, as a father, and quite honestly, as a human. I just felt all of the weight of those struggles. And I knew that we had a, a deacons meeting coming up that night. And so I, I contacted our chairman of deacons at the time and, and I just said, can I come to the deacons meeting tonight and just ask you guys to lay hands on me and to pray for me? So church, I want you to know, not only do you have uh, a faithful staff here at this church, not only do you have pastors that, that are praying for you, but you also have a faithful deacon body who loves you, who cares for you, and who prays for you. I can't say enough good things about the deacons here at First Baptist Wataga. And so that night, I went to that deacons meeting and they surrounded me and they laid hands on me and they prayed for me. So it's important for us to remember when we find ourselves in the midst of struggle in this life, whether we're sick whether we're suffering, whether we're entangled in sin, it's important for us to remember we are not alone. And we can come together as many vines connected to the same branch, as many branches, excuse me, as many branches connected to the same vine. And we can cry out with one voice to the same God because we are not alone. Now on the other side of this, is that sometimes you may not be the one that needs prayer. Sometimes you may be the person that someone is reaching out to to ask for prayer. So let me just quickly tie this back into our passage from last week when we talked about making sure that our words matter. Making sure that our yes is yes and our no is no. And, and, and that what we, we say what we mean and we mean what we say. And, and let me just say this. Let's let our I'm praying for you mean I'm praying for you. Understand, I'm not saying that when we say those words, I'm praying for you, that we don't say them without good intentions, right? I, I believe we have good intentions when we say I'm praying for you, but I think it's very easy for us when someone is going through a struggle, when someone's going through a hard time and we don't know what else to say, that we simply say those words, I'm praying for you. Right? But, but as we think about being a people of integrity, making sure that our yes is yes and our no is no, we wanna make sure that when we tell someone that we are praying for them, that we are actually praying for them. So here's just a few things that I do and I offer them as, as tips to you and, and certainly there may be other tips as well. Uh, but a few things that I do first I might pray for someone right in that moment. Someone has asked for prayer, I might pray for them right in that moment, whether it's in person or, or whether it's over the phone, I'll pray for them right then. Second, I might schedule a reminder on my phone or, or on my computer in my office for a certain time. Maybe you've got a surgery coming up, a doctor's appointment, or you've got an interview coming up at a specific time. I wanna pray for you at that time, and so I'll schedule a reminder for myself so I can stop and pray. Third, if someone emails me or texts me or I read it in, in, in a prayer request that's sent to us that there is a prayer need, generally I will wait till after I have prayed to respond to simply let you know you have been prayed for. I've just spent some time praying for you and I wanted to let you know that. 
So I do this intentionally and I do this specifically because you matter and your needs matter and I wanna make sure that my words matter. And so when I say those words, I'm praying for you, I wanna make sure that I actually pray for you. And so we see this instruction from James that if we want to pray effectively, we're to call on others to pray for us, both the elders of the church, but also on other believers. But, but then sandwiched between these two categories of people, we see what I believe is the most important instruction for us when we pray. Verse 14 tells us that when we pray, we are to pray in the name of the Lord. Understand this, my prayers and your prayers, our prayers are only effective because our God is effective. Our prayers are only effective because our God is effective, because our God is alive and he reigns over all things. So let me bring you back to this truth that I made at the beginning of the message, that when we pray, we don't, we, we don't bark orders at God. Rather, when we pray, we do so with a heart of submission to his authority and to his will. So when we pray, we're not praying in our own name, under our own authority, but when we pray, we are praying in Jesus' name. We are praying in the name of the Lord. And if you're like me, most often I will say these words at the end of my prayer, in Jesus' name I pray, or it's in your name I pray, amen. But understand, as we say those words, in Jesus' name I pray, or it's in your name I pray, when we say those words, we're not reciting those words as if it's some magical incantation. And we're not saying that phrase so that we can somehow treat Jesus like a genie. We pray in Jesus' name because it is through Jesus, the great high priest, that we have access to the throne room of God. It is through Jesus that we are able to enter into God's presence and to lift our prayers up to him. David talked about this earlier up here. But Matthew 27, 51 tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, that that veil in the temple, this, this veil, this curtain that, that served as a barrier between mankind and God, that the veil was torn from top to bottom, making it possible for us to enter into God's presence freely, making it possible for us to take our request directly into his throne room. So church family, when you say, when you pray, whether you say those specific words in Jesus' name or not at the end of your prayer, understand that when you pray to the one true God, you do so in the name of the Lord because it is only by Jesus and through Jesus that we are able to enter into God's presence and we are able to have confidence and we're able to enter with boldness and with the assurance that the barrier is gone and that God hears us when we pray. So when we pray, we pray in the name of the Lord. So if we're gonna pray effectively, we need to remember when to pray, that it's always the right time to pray. If we're gonna pray effectively, we need to remember how to pray, that at times we have to call on others to pray for us and with us, but we always pray in the name of the Lord.
Finally this morning, if we're gonna pray effectively, we need to remember why we pray. If we're gonna pray effectively, we need to remember why we pray. Let's read verses 16 through 18 again. It says, the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. According to James, we pray because prayer is powerful in its effect. We pray because prayer is powerful in effect. Understanding once again that that prayer does not gain its power by you nor by me. But as James gives us the, the example of Elijah for the effectiveness of prayer, James makes sure to point out that Elijah was, was just a human like you and me. And that statement that, that Elijah was just a human reminds us that the power and the effectiveness of prayer does not come from simple human strength. And, and therefore, we are unable to, to will things to happen simply because we have the desire for them to be so. But it also encourages us that although we may only be humans like Elijah, God cares for, hears, and responds to our prayers. Therefore, our prayers should be offered to God in faith with a confident hope that God has every ability to accomplish that which we are asking of him. Our prayers should be offered to God in faith with a confident hope that God has every ability to accomplish that which you are asking of him. Elijah prayed for rain, or Elijah prayed that it would not rain, and for three years, three and a half years, God held back the rain. And then Elijah prayed for rain, and God opened up the skies, the rain poured out, and the land produced its harvest. So when you pray, pray in faith with a confident hope that God has every ability to accomplish that which you are asking of him. But what if God doesn't answer my prayer the way I wanted him to? What if I pray for rain and it doesn't rain? What if I pray for a job and I don't get hired? What if I pray for healing and I am not healed? We've probably all experienced at, at, at times when, when we have prayed for something and we feel like God did not answer it the way we wanted him to. So let me say this to you. Don't let that stop you from praying in faith with confidence and with hope that God has every ability to accomplish that which you are asking of him. So here's the faith, confidence, and hope that I have come to rest in when I pray. That I can bring my request to God and, and, and he has every ability to accomplish that which I am asking of him. But if his will is different than mine, his will is greater. If his will is different than mine, his will is greater because as I present my requests to the Lord, as sincere as they might be, I present them to the Lord like Elijah 
as a human, and as a human, I've got blind spots. I can't see the entire picture, but I know that God can see the whole picture. I have faith and confidence that the Lord can see the whole picture, and he knows, regardless of my requests, what is needed to accomplish his will and his purposes. And so as I present my requests to the Lord, I don't bark my requests at him, but I present them to him with a heart of submission. Like Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And just as God accomplished his perfect will and purposes by, by holding back the rain for Elijah for three and a half years and then by sending the rain for Elijah, God also accomplished his perfect will and his purposes by allowing Jesus to go to the cross so that through his death and through his resurrection, we might find redemption, that we might be forgiven, that we might be saved, that we might be transformed, and that we might be set free. So why do we pray? We pray because prayer is powerful in its effect, and we pray because we have faith, confidence, and hope that God has every ability to accomplish that which we are asking of him. But our faith, confidence, and hope is also in his ability to accomplish his perfect will for our lives. And so James outlines these three reminders for us so that we might pray effectively. That if we are going to pray effectively, we would remember when to pray, if we're gonna pray effectively, we would remember how to pray, and if we would pray effectively, we would remember why we pray. And it's my desire here at First Baptist Watauga that we would actively remember these three truths so that as a church, as a people, we would be a people who prays effectively. So I'm gonna invite David and Matthew back up here, and we're gonna have a time of response. And so this is how I would encourage you to respond during this time, whether you're here in person or whether you're online. Maybe you're, maybe you're with us today, and you would say you are experiencing the weight of, of someone that is sick, just the, the weight of someone you know that is sick right now. Maybe they've, they're sick with the coronavirus. Maybe, maybe they've got cancer. Maybe it's another sickness that you're aware of. But, but man, you are burdened for someone that is sick right now. Would you just take that to the Lord in prayer? Maybe you're burdened right now by just all of the unrest that's going on in our nation. There's just a lot of stuff going on right now. And man, it is heavy. Would you just take that to the Lord in prayer with, with confidence and hope that, that he can bring peace and that he can bring his perfect will to this nation? Maybe you're here today or maybe you're joining us online and you would say that you have never made Jesus the Lord of your life. And so let me speak to you directly right now and just say this. The first prayer that you need to pray is a prayer of confession. 
a simple prayer, Jesus is Lord, that you would turn from your sins, that you would turn from the, the leadership, the lordship of yourself, and that you would allow for Jesus to become the Lord of your life. And so I would invite you during this time to simply respond by saying, Jesus is Lord. But even if you're a longtime believer, you can also declare that, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Lord over, over the sicknesses, that Jesus is Lord over our struggles, that Jesus is Lord over our church, that Jesus is Lord over our circumstances. Once again, we can pray and confess that Jesus is Lord. If you make a decision today to allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life, for the first time you've never made that decision, I would encourage you, if you're here in person, you can come talk to me after the service. Just grab me, pull me aside. I'd love to talk with you, pray with you. If you're online, go to fbcwataga.org slash prayer. And just let, let me know that you've made that simple confession, Jesus is Lord. I'd love to talk with you, love to pray with you, love to follow up with you. But today, as we get ready to sing, would you let that be the confession of your heart this morning, that Jesus is Lord? Would you stand with me and let's pray together right now. Dear Holy Father, we make that confession right now. You are Lord. Lord, there is a lot going on in our world with viruses, Lord, with speculation of new viruses, uh, Lord, with all of the unrest that's in the streets, Lord, there's just a lot going on. And so, Lord, we look to you and we trust you and we have faith in you and we believe that you have every ability to accomplish that which we are asking of you. But, Lord, we also have faith and confidence and hope that you have the ability to accomplish your perfect will. And that's what we desire, Lord. As we have these conversations with you, Lord, our desire is that we would grow in a deeper relationship with you, but that we would see your will accomplished in our lives and in this world. And so today, Lord, once again, we say you are Lord, and we ask that you simply reign. We love you. It's in your name I pray.